Welcome to Calvary Albuquerque. We pursue the God who is passionately pursuing a lost world. We do this with one another. Through worship, by the word, to the world. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4 this morning for a message titled, Fixing Happiness. Fixing Happiness. Now, I know that might sound like a weird title, and and you might say, well, I didn't know that happiness needed to be fixed, right? Happiness is a good thing. Why does happiness need to be fixed? Well, I believe that happiness is broken. I believe that what the world calls happiness, the world's version of happiness, is broken. It doesn't work. It doesn't fulfill like the world says it does. It doesn't satisfy in the ways the world says that it should satisfy, Happiness is broken. Now, practically speaking, everybody is searching for happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. Really quick, a show of hands. Who wants to be happy this morning? Okay, come on. There's a lot of hands not being raised. Liars. Put those hands up. Okay, just because we're in church doesn't mean you have to be like bummed out and sit there with your arms crossed. Even if you were born in the church of the frozen chosen, you're at Calvary now. So remind your face that you're happy. Smile. Laugh. And there's going to be times this this morning when I say something, if you agree with it, it's okay to say amen, okay? God's not going to strike you down if you respond. So uh, we're going to have a good time this morning. Remind your face that you're happy. You know, no one's like, man, I just really want to be bummed out for the rest of my life. No one wakes up in the morning and says, man, I hope I have a horrible day. I just want to be depressed for the rest of my life. That's not on anybody's bucket list. It's not like Great Wall of China, depression. No one has that on there. No one wants to be bummed out. We want to be happy. If that is on your bucket list, we can pray for you after because you've got more issues there. You want to be happy. You do. That's why you wake up and do what you do. That's why you're in the career that you're in or thinking about leaving it. That's why you live where you live. That's why you're in a relationship with who you're in a relationship with. You want to be happy. Maybe that's why you came here today. You're looking for happiness. You're looking for something more. There's a hole. There's a void in your life that is yet to be filled. And you came here this morning searching for something. But what exactly is this happiness that we pursue? What is joy? You know, we sing countless songs about it. We use the phrase all the time. There's movies about it. And I found some songs that talk about happiness, and it was interesting to me. The gorillas are happy, feeling glad. They've got sunshine in a bag, whatever that means, probably about drugs. According to the Beatles, happiness is a warm gun, honey. Apparently, John Lennon got a little too close to Doc Holliday. He's a cowboy. Cheryl Crow says, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Unless it's meth, then it's always bad. Sorry, Walter. Avril Lavigne is still looking for her happy ending. And somewhere in this world, there's a penguin dancing around with happy feet. And of course, we all know the classic song, Don't Worry. There we go. We're getting there. We're like at like 30% involvement. We're going to work our way up. Don't worry, be happy. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds nice to sing that, especially in a Rastafarian accent. Who can be sad when you hear that? Easy to sing, hard to do. It's hard not to worry because by nature, we are worriers, aren't we? Okay, we're going to ask for some honesty again here. Be honest, who came here this morning and there's something in your life that you're worried about? I know there is in mine. 
I think if we're all honest, all of us are worried about something. All of us have something in our mind that we're worried about. The numbers in our bank account. The numbers we see when we step on the scale. The person that our kids are dating. The house that we're living in. The food our dog eats. I mean, we're worried about a lot of stuff. Some of it more trivial than others. But there's two truths there. You want to be happy and you're worried. So how do we reconcile that as we're worried about things? Maybe we're worried about our job, our bank account. We're worried about this boy or this girl and we're not sure if they like us. Even worse, we're worried about this boy or this girl that likes our boy or girl, right? Our kids starting to date people, that's scary. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old and I dread the day when my daughter's going to start dating. Even if anyone in here doesn't agree with anything I say today, you're going to agree with this. The rules for dating my daughter. These are good, guys. Write these down. Number one, get a job. Number two, understand that I don't like you. Amen. Number three, I'm everywhere. Number four, if you hurt her, I'm going to hurt you. Number five, be home 30 minutes early. Number six, get a lawyer. Preach. Number seven, if you lie to me, I'll find out. Number eight, now I'm going to forewarn you, this is going to warrant an amen, okay? She's my princess, not your conquest. Okay, we're getting there. Number nine, I don't mind going back to jail. Truth. Number ten, whatever you do to her, I'm going to do to you. All right, now frame that, mount it next to your guns and your deer heads inside your den, because that's truth right there. It's hard not to worry, and it's hard to be happy, isn't it? It's hard to be happy, because the world's telling us, this is how to be happy, and guess what? We're buying it. We're eating it up, but what the world's selling is a fake. It's a counterfeit. It's like going to Mexico and buying those Oakleys that they tell you are real, but the second you touch them and the O rubs off, you realize they're not real. They're fake. It's a counterfeit. That's why it's $2. The happiness that the world offers us is cheap. It'll make you feel good for a little bit. But when you get it home from Mexico and you realize that it breaks two weeks later, you're not going to be happy. The world's happiness is fake. It will not satisfy because the world's happiness depends on happenings. The world's happiness depends on circumstances going our way. Things happening according to our plan. Understand this. Happiness isn't just for Christians. Non-believers experience happiness too, although it's fleeting at best. The Bible tells us even in laughter, the heart has sorrow. Man, I can think... Of so many people that that describes to a T. They put on a spot, a smile. They laugh. They go to church. Everyone thinks they've got it all together, but inside they're broken. Inside they're depressed. Every night they cry themselves to sleep. Every morning they wake up wishing they wouldn't have. Every day they don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to do anything. They have no purpose. They walk around like a zombie. Maybe that describes you today. Maybe you're caught in sorrow. Maybe you try so hard to put on a mask to make your friends and your family think that everything's okay. But inside you're dying. Inside you have no hope. You have no joy. Maybe you've thought about suicide. Maybe you've tried to commit suicide. And maybe you came here today and you said, if God can't fix this, I'm done. 
I'm done. I'm going to call it quits. The things you're feeling inside, you would never want the person next to you to know. I want you to know that God wants those things. He wants you to bring those things to him and he wants to replace those things with joy and peace and love and grace and mercy. I want you to know if you feel that way today, there's hope for you. I want you to know that I've been praying for you all week long and Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you. Amen? We've all experienced happiness in a new possession, a physical thrill, a new crush, but it's quickly gone, right? Who in here has ever gotten a new car or maybe a used car, but it was new to you? Anyone ever experienced that? Again, a lot of liars. No one in here has ever owned a car or driven. We've all had that experience, right? We get a new car. It's fresh. It smells nice. It looks good. Even if there's a scratch, we don't notice it because it's perfect, right? We want to drive around it with the windows rolled down. Yeah, girl, check it out. Looking good. Equal opportunity church. Yeah, boy, check it out. Looking good. We want people to see us. We're proud of this car. After five years, do you feel still feel that way? No, you don't. And if you do, I want what you have because I don't feel that way about my car. No, after five years, it doesn't smell fresh and clean. It smells like baby vomit. You notice every scratch and ding and they make you angry. You now drive around with the windows rolled up like, don't look at me. Don't judge me. This isn't who I am. Happiness fades. The feeling you had when you got that car doesn't stay forever. Sin will promise you joy, but will ultimately produce sorrow. Happiness is easy to find, but happiness is so hard to keep. That's why so many people are addicted to drugs. They try it once to make themselves happy and it works. They feel good. It feels great. Guess what? It feels good to be high. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. But that happiness is hard to keep. And so they've got to try a new drug. They've got to do it more frequently. They've got to do it with new people in different places. And they put themselves on a cycle searching for happiness, searching for that feeling that they cannot keep until they have nothing left. And guess what? It doesn't have to be drugs. Maybe for you, it's pornography. Maybe for you, it's sex. Maybe for you, it's money. It's possessions. And you're on this quest to get more and more and more and more. It's not going to work. Nothing in life fills that void that you have. And whether you admit it or not, you have that void. How do I know? Because I have that void. I love God. I have a relationship with Jesus that I treasure more than anything. But there are still those times when I get something and I just want more. That's all I want. That's natural to feel that way. Because it's human nature. We always want more. But guess what? More will never be enough. And more will just give way to more. And when you hit hard times and you're in less than perfect circumstances, surrounded by less than perfect people, is more going to be enough for you? No, it's not. We as a society and a culture have more than we ever have before. We're smarter, we're healthier, we're wealthier than a hundred years ago. But has that growth increased our happiness? I read some very sad statistics this week. Currently in America, there's more suicide, more death by suicide than there is by car accidents. For the first time in history, suicide outnumbers homicide by three to two. 
Over that same period, depression rates have soared. Divorce rates have doubled. The percentage of children born into single-parent homes has sextupled. The accumulation of stuff is at an all-time high. But so is the number of people who feel emptiness in their lives. Does that describe you or someone you know? Happiness is broken. So how do we fix it? If happiness is broken, what is the remedy? The remedy is the manufacturer's instructions. Who in here has ever had something that you bought that broke? Come on, liars. We're going to get you guys to tell the truth by the end of the day. I have a lot of things that are broken. I frequently buy things that break very quickly. That's the purpose of the manufacturer's instructions. You look at this book... You look at the FAQs, the troubleshooting, to tell you how to fix it. It tells you things like, don't play with your iPhone in the bath. It doesn't matter how much you want to watch Downtown Abbey, don't do it. It tells you things like, hey, Timmy, it's Halloween time. Don't put that trash bag on your head as a mask. Those are the things the instructions tell us to do. Now, if you're hopelessly stubborn like me, you will not look at those things until the last possible moment. Like, I will try to fix it, and I'll break it more instead of just looking at the instructions of how to really fix it, right? And then if it really breaks, you can send it into the manufacturer and they'll send you a new one. If you have an Apple product, if you have a PC, you're out of luck. But that's what the manufacturer's instructions are for. For many in life, it's the same, but their lives are the product. Their lives are broken. They find that everything they try to fill the void with in their lives doesn't work. No matter how hard they try to fix their lives, they can't do it. They can't find the solution but the problem is they haven't looked at the manufacturer's instructions the bibles you hold whether wrapped in leather or wrapped in electronics it's the manufacturer's instructions that's the words of our creator on how we can be truly happy people see the bible gives a completely different view of happiness According to the Bible, happiness is never something that you should pursue directly. Happiness is the result of something else. If you seek holiness, you'll find happiness. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be happy. Let's read now Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Here in our pursuit of happiness, we start at the end. We start at the end of our story to see the beginning. Who in here has ever seen a Disney movie? Good, we're getting there. Who's ever seen Bambi? If you watch the first five minutes of Bambi, that movie's stupid, right? It's like, this is lame. The hunter gets Bambi's mom and eats her for dinner? Not a cool movie. You know, we watch that and it's not a happy movie. But guess what? We know that Bambi's going to end well. Why? Because it's a Disney movie. And guess what? Walt only makes happy endings. There's truth in that. When we look at our lives, sometimes the beginning doesn't make sense. Sometimes what's happening doesn't comprehend in our mind. But guess what? Jesus Christ is the director of your life. And he only makes happy endings. The kingdom of heaven is what awaits you, Christian. The kingdom of heaven is where we start. The first beatitude mentions the kingdom of heaven. And it's mentioned many times after that. 
Now this not only refers to his coming kingdom, but it refers to his kingdom in my life today. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. That is to say, seek before everything else within your life, the reign and rulership of Jesus. Surrender your life to him. The Beatitudes start and end with the kingdom to emphasize that we belong to a different kind. See, most Jews of that day expected Jesus to come and be a military Messiah, to be a political leader who would deliver them from the yoke of Rome and establish a new kingdom on earth. After he miraculously fed the multitude, it says that they tried to take him by force and make him king. They saw him as their political and social Messiah. They wanted like, you know, a presidential candidate coming in and healing babies and killing Romans. That's what they wanted. They wanted a political Messiah. When Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? He replied, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. But my kingdom is not of this world. It seems that we don't quite understand this in our day and age. We still have people today who want to take him by force and make him king. They want his kingdom to be reigning here and now. And so when bad things happen, when hurricanes come, when shootings occur, when we hear about abortions, we, we, we can't comprehend it. We think that God shouldn't allow that, that God should be this militant Messiah who would come down and establish his kingdom here on earth. We still have those today who become more sidetracked with the kingdoms of this world rather than with the kingdoms of God. It's really weird in this day and age, we care more about the feud between Jimmy Kimmel and Kanye West than we do about the feud between heaven and hell. We care more about what the fox says than what the Bible says. We care more about what Miley Cyrus is going to do next instead of what God's going to do next. We're more sidetracked with the here and now than what's to come. We still have those who attempt to make themselves king. They want to build up their kingdom. They believe that happiness will be found in who they become here on earth. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how rich or famous you get. It will not bring happiness. How do I know? Because some of the richest and most famous people are the most depressed. Heath Ledger battled extreme depression, which ultimately led to death when he overdosed on prescription drugs. Owen Wilson, a really funny, happy guy, in 2007 attempted to commit suicide by slitting his wrists. The comedian Russell Brand said in an interview, I'm famous now. I didn't used to be, but when I was younger, I always wanted to be famous. I thought it would make me happy. But now I've got fame and some of the things that I could only dream of, and it ain't worked. Jim Carrey said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, we learn that God's standards are different than ours. In Christ's kingdom, the people who are the most exalted in heaven are the lowliest on earth. In Christ's kingdom, the way up is to go down. This passage is a description of what the character should be of every Christian. But I want you to know that these things don't come naturally. Only God's spirit can work them in us. However, all Christians are meant to manifest these characteristics. It's not like you can pick and choose like, well, I'm poor in spirit. My wife's meek. So we're going to have babies together and make meek, porn and spirit babies. So we can kind of combine our gifts. No, we're each meant to have all of these characteristics to be poor in spirit, to be meek. 
In fact, as we read this, we see a progression. One leads to the other. The word blessed is the Greek word makarios, and it could be translated, oh, how happy. This is the prescription from the great physician. If Dr. Seuss were preaching this message, he would say this is the prescription from the great physician of how to see happiness come to fruition. This is how to fix happiness. This is the cure. Look at verse 3 once again. It says, happy are the poor in spirit. Now, this is the first tool that we use when we're trying to fix happiness. This is first because there is no one in the kingdom of God or no one who will go to the kingdom of God that is not poor in spirit. The word poor is a verb meaning to shrink, cower, or cringe. Speaking of what beggars often did in this day and age. It speaks of a person who is destitute, completely dependent on others for help. To be poor in spirit is to recognize our spiritual poverty apart from God. It is to see yourself as you really are. How are you really? Lost, hopeless, and helpless. No, I'm not. I've got a good job. I've got it all together. I've got the perfect body. It doesn't matter what you have at your core. You're lost, hopeless, and helpless. We all are apart from God. We're all in need of a Savior. Apart from Jesus Christ, everyone is spiritually destitute, regardless of their education, their wealth, their accomplishments, or even their religious knowledge. Now, some people will never admit this. They have the hardest time coming to this point to be poor in spirit. But if you want to find true happiness, you must first recognize this. Otherwise, the greatest sermon ever preached will do no good for you as an individual. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, because you say, I am rich and have prospered and I need nothing, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's what we are. Charles Spurgeon said the way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in yourselves. C.S. Lewis says, Whatever we fi- whenever we find that our spiritual life is making us feel that we are good, above all else, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted upon, not by God, but by Satan. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself entirely, or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. A small, dirty object. Is that what we hear today? Is that what Dr. Phil and Oprah tell us we are, small, dirty objects? No, they say, feel good about yourself. Have self-esteem. Make yourself... Believe that you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. We even hear it in the church today. One Christian psychologist said, the Bible makes a person feel good about himself. Many try to use it to make people hate themselves, but the Bible promotes psychological and emotional health. Is that true? Are we supposed to feel good about ourselves? Well, that all depends on your relationship or lack of relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you shouldn't feel good about yourself because let me tell you, there's nothing good for you. Even as a Christian, we shouldn't feel good about ourselves. We should feel good about God. It's not us who does any good work in us. It is God who does it all. We don't bring the joy. We don't bring the peace. We don't bring the love. That's God. We as a culture need to stop having so much self-esteem and we need to start having a little God-esteem. We need to start looking at what God can do, not what we can do, because I can't do jack. 
James 4, 8 says, cleanse your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Psalm 39, 5 says, my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is mere breath. But there's some hope. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. To be poor in spirit means we recognize our dilemma. We don't look to ourselves for the answers, but we look to Jesus. True happiness is not something that can be achieved or worked for. True happiness is something that is given and it's given freely by the giver of all good gifts. As we seek God in our lives first, as we seek His kingdom, as we humble ourselves, the payoff will be happiness within our lives. This is the opposite of what the world says. The world says, if you think money will make you happy, make as much money as you can. If you think sex will make you happy, have as much sex as you possibly can. If you think parties are going to make you happy, go to one every night and do whatever you want. God says, the only thing that's going to make you happy to be poor in spirit to empty yourself the world tells us if you seek what you want you'll be happy god tells us if you seek what he wants then you'll be happy seek first the kingdom of god this reminds me of in my opinion the saddest story in all of the bible it's the story of achan the story of achan is found in joshua 7 where joshua and the israelites are traveling from land to land and god's giving them the power to conquer these cities they're doing incredible awesome things and god has one condition he says whenever you go into a city all the things that you take all the treasures all the clothes they're mine they belong to me it's a tithe that you give to me so don't take it well this guy achan decides that he's put in a little extra hours and he deserves a bonus So he goes into a city and he finds some nice things He finds a little dolce and gabbana robe a gold rolex He finds some bling bling and he decides you know what this should be achan So he takes it and he kind of walks out of the camp with it And then he realizes hey people are going to ask questions like hey achan where do you get that gucci robe? I found it by the camels. No, you didn't you liar So he realized he has to hide it so Aiken takes this bling bling that he got and he digs a hole in his tent and he puts it in the dirt because that's where you should put expensive things. So Aiken hides this from the, from the Lord and God comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, someone sinned in the camp. Someone stole from me. No one confesses. No one in the camp admits to it. And finally God reveals that it was Aiken. Now the sad part of this story is Aiken was put to death because of his sin. But what makes that so sad is found in Joshua chapter 8, the very next chapter in verse 2. God tells Joshua, and you shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. God says the next city you go into, all the treasure, all the bling bling, it's yours. Achan didn't realize that all the things that Achan wanted, God wanted to give to him in God's time, not in Achan's time. And the sad part of that story is Achan never got to experience the blessing of chapter 8 because he experienced the sin of chapter 7. Achan never got to experience the joy and the happiness that God wanted to give because he was more concerned about the joy and the happiness that Achan could give. Achan was thinking about Achan, not about God. When we seek to make ourselves happy, it always leads to sorrow. 
But when we submit to God and serve God, he always gives us what we need. Verse 4 says, blessed are they that mourn or happy are the unhappy. Here's the second stage of happiness. It's one thing to recognize that I'm bankrupt, that I'm poor in spirit. It's another to grieve and mourn over it. This doesn't mean you've got to walk around depressed all day, head hung low. What are you doing? I'm mourning because God told me to. I should be sad. No, don't be a Debbie Downer. That's not what it means. It means that when we first come into the presence of God and we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt and that we have nothing to offer God, it breaks our heart. It causes us to mourn over the state of our sin. We mourn the fact that our sin put a perfect God on a cross for us. That it was our sin that held Him there. It wasn't the nails. It was our sin. It was all the bad things that you've done. All the dirty thoughts that you've had is what held God on that cross. Let me tell you something. God should have broken up with us a long time ago because we're a lousy date. He should have ditched us on the curb a long time ago. As He hung on that cross, He should have said... We are never, ever, ever getting back together. He should have dug his key into the side of our pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. But lucky for us, God isn't Taylor Swift. And God isn't a bitter ex-lover. God doesn't hang your sin over your head. Your sin hung over his head. And as he bled out on that cross, his blood covers your sins. And that breaks our heart. It leads us to repentance. As God and his holiness confronts me, I see my own helplessness causing me to mourn. Verse 4 continues, it says, they shall be comforted. The person who recognizes that they're poor in spirit mourns over their condition. And as a result, they repent. They come to Christ. And in the presence of Christ, they find what they've been looking for all along. Joy and comfort. Romans 4, 7 says, happy are those whose sins are forgiven. So simple and yet so true. Our sorrow leads to joy, but without sorrow there is no joy. Listen, don't put your hope in some unrealistic hallmark slogan. For every cloud there's a silver lining. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. All's well that ends well. Make me vomit. That's not true. Guess what? Sometimes life doesn't go well. Sorry, Avril. Sometimes there's not a happy ending at the end of the corner. But there doesn't need to be because it doesn't matter what the journey is. What matters is who's traveling with you and what your destination is. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. That's where true happiness is found. People say, I've got to find myself. Jesus says, you need to lose yourself. Maybe you say... Man, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. I'm doing good. That's the problem. You were born this way. You were born a sinner. And unless you're born again and you experience the joy found in Christ, there is no happiness for you. True happiness is based on the fact that your life is right with God. And you say, well, man, I'm having fun. I'm young. I'm doing things my way. What happens when you're not young anymore? What happens when you're on your deathbed? When you stare death down right in the face, what's going to happen? Are you going to know that your life was right with God? Because if you don't, you're not going to be happy. You might have the facade of happiness, which can be bought at ABQ Uptown. It can be bought at any store. But you're not going to be truly happy until you have a relationship with God. It's not based on the numbers in your bank account. It's not based on the cars in your garage or the numbers you see on the scale. 
What you think the answer is, isn't the answer. What you think you need, isn't what you need. What you need is Jesus Christ. He will come into your life. He will fill the void that you can't fill. He will give you the life that you don't have. He will bring you the joy that you can't find. And the best part is that it's free. He's not going to charge you an installment plan fee for His grace and His love and His joy. In the business world, that's called a good deal. And if you turn that good deal down, you're a fool. He died on the cross for your sin. He wants to take your junk and He wants to give you His joy. He wants to take your worst and He wants to give you His best. He wants to take your anxiety and give you peace. Have your sins been forgiven? Have you come to God poor in spirit and let that love change you? A lot of people say, yeah, I've done that before, Nate. But they've never really changed. They say, yeah, I need Jesus to make me happy, but I'm also going to do all the stuff I did before. I want Jesus to make me happy, but I still want money to make me happy. I want Jesus to make me happy, but I still want sex to make me happy. I want Jesus to make me happy, but I still want alcohol to make me happy. Man cannot serve two masters. Either you serve God or you serve yourself. So you choose this day whom you serve. Do you serve Jesus or yourself? Do you want to make yourself happy? Or do you want to give that that job to Jesus? Because let me tell you something. Jesus can do a lot better job at making you happy than you can. It's time to give up control. It's time to give it to God. He'll bring you joy that you didn't know was possible. So if you're here today and you're stuck feeling alone and depressed, if you go to sleep at night hoping you won't wake up in the morning, if you wake up in the morning not wanting to get out of bed, if you spend your days worrying, today is the day to give it to God and let Him give you a joy that will still be there tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, we come into Your presence now and we're thankful for the truth of Your Word that it changes and transforms lives. God, we need your joy. We're lost without it. And as we're praying right now, I want to acknowledge there's those who may be here today that are looking for that joy. Maybe they're feeling alone. They're feeling depressed. God, they need something today. And you have that something they need. Maybe there's those who are here today, God, who think they've got it all together. They've built this mountain of wealth of things and they feel like they're on stable ground. Lord, tear down their idols bring them into a knowledge that they need you and without you there is no hope as we're praying right now as we have our eyes closed and our heads bowed if you're here this morning you realize you need jesus you need the hope that only he can bring you've been trying too long to do it on your own you've been running from god you've been trying to fill the void in your own life and it's not working you need jesus if you realize in this moment that you need God either for the first time or a second time or a third time or a hundredth time, if you realize that now and you want to give your life to God and experience His joy, I want you to raise up your hand so I can see it. Say, Nate, pray for me. I need Jesus. Just raise it up. Amen. Over here in the back, to my right, over here in the front, to the left, a couple of you to the side and the left. Raise your hand up. God's calling you. Don't resist His call. It's a good deal. It's free. All you have to do is come. All you have to do is bring all the bad stuff you have and he'll give you all his good stuff. Anyone else, before we close, you recognize you need that free gift. Amen. Well, Lord, I thank you for these hands that have been raised around the room, God. I pray 
that you'd cement the faith that they're claiming to have, Lord, and let it be real within their lives. Help them to take a stand for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What binds us together is devotion to worshiping our Heavenly Father, dedication to studying His Word, and determination to proclaim our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. For more teachings from Calvary Albuquerque and Skip Heitzig, visit calvaryabq.org.